It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And good morning. Happy Monday to you. Welcome into a new week here on the program. Hope that you are all doing all right. I'm just getting caught up from my weekend and my lack of sleep. <laughs> when I left when I left Duke's Bakery on Friday, and what a great time I had broadcasting live from Duke's Bakery, as I always do. It first of all, you get to have delicious food, but it's all it's also a fun staff, and it's just a really cool place, and it's it's a nice easy setup and breakdown for me too which is which is a bonus but i stopped and uh, and, and visited a friend who works in fall river came back here unpacked everything and then pretty much from that point on i went home and changed but then i just took off and went to the conjuring house i had dinner first a friend of mine who comes from new york to go to some of our events and some events at the conjuring house we went to a haunted restaurant in rhode island and had a great dinner, and then we went over to the Conjuring House. And I've I've never done a 12-hour investigation before, believe it or not. And my 17 years of doing paranormal stuff, I'd never stayed up overnight investigating the whole time. And I was a little bit worried that I would run out of gas, but I made it. Uh, I definitely was loopy by the time I got home, about 10 o'clock in the morning. But I was um, I was surprised at how much I was able to to keep going all night. And we had some really strange experiences. Now if you've if you've seen the conjuring movie, let me just tell you that it's not anything like what actually went on in the house. Basically, uh Andrea Perrin, whose family went through the haunting in that farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island, wrote a three book series called House of Darkness, House of Light, in which she described everything that her family went through. Someone from Warner Brothers, I believe it was Warner Brothers, opted to buy that, you know, they, they bought the book option to, to make it into a movie. But they also had a script floating around for a horror film that they thought they could kind of like merge the two. This is, this is the story that I've been told. So there's elements in there that were something that they wrote for another horror film that was independent of this case, and then they tried to bring in some of the facts of this case. But the bottom line is... There's a lot of stuff in the movie that's not true. Part of the story is that uh, there was a witch named Bathsheba Sherman who stabbed a baby to death with knitting needles and was hung from a tree. Um, None of that is true. There was a woman named Bathsheba Sherman who lived on the other side of town. And as far as we know, she never stepped foot in that farmhouse. Certainly didn't kill a baby and wasn't hung by a tree. And she couldn't be a witch because she's buried in consecrated ground. So all of these stories came about, you know, if we trace the story, when Ed and Lorraine Warren, the famous paranormal investigators, investigated that house in the 70s, which came about, by the way, because 
Keith Johnson, who is a, a regular guest on Spooky South Coast, him and his brother Carl Johnson, they were college kids that had their own paranormal group, and it was actually them that were called in by the parents, and they knew this case was more than they could handle, so they called the Warrens. The Warrens came in and took everything over, and Lorraine Warren got this Bathsheba Sherman information through uh, you know, mediumship, psychic visions, whatever. And they've impugned this poor woman's re- reputation ever since. People have uh, stolen her headstone or broken her headstone. You know, it's, just, it's gone. So there's a campaign to have it replaced. And uh, it just recently raised over the amount of money that it needed. So they were looking for $2,000. They've raised, as of last night, 2300 Um, A good portion of that was put in by the new owner of the Conjuring House, Jacqueline Nunez, who... Since she's taken over the house, it's only been positive activity that goes on. There's no nothing scary, nothing evil, nothing mean. It's just good interaction. And we had a lot of that on Friday night. Uh, nothing that I would show you that would blow your mind. You know, I can't show you full-bodied apparition coming in front of the camera. But we, we didn't even have things like doors slamming or anything like that either. But we had some pretty interesting stuff. I... I Caught some electromagnetic anomalies. Um, I put a video up of that on my social media. And one of the weirdest things for me, and I won't bore you with a whole bunch of paranormal talk, but I know some people were asking because we didn't have spooky South Coast because I threw my sleep pattern all off. Some people were asking if I could just, you know, mention if anything happened. So we do this thing called the Estes method. And what it is, is it's an attempt to communicate without having any influence over the narrative. So I think it's a, there's a good possibility that a lot of times when people are trying to communicate with spirits, they're trying to inflict some kind of narrative on what's going on. So there's a device, an app, a program I use called EchoVox that has no words in it. It's just phonetic sounds. It's six different banks of every part of phonetic speech. Uh, every phonetic sound of human speech. And this thing just cycles through, randomly playing those off. And, and the odds of it making an actual word are slim, but you get a lot of words that come through it. And there's no words. We've we've pulled apart the coding for it. There's no words programmed into it, just phonetic sounds. And so we were getting a lot of stuff us- utilizing this in the basement of the house. And it was asking for the Perrin family by name. It was asking for Roger Perrin, which the spirit that was there in the 70s when the Perrins were there was supposedly obsessed with Roger and hated his wife, Carolyn, and but would lovingly embrace Roger. And it kept asking, where's Roger? Where's Roger? And at one point, it mentioned the name Andrea, who was the oldest daughter and the one who wrote the books about the house. Now, it's easy to think that the residual energy of people talking about Roger and Andrea and the family could just be in the air there, you know? It could just be picking up some kind of resonance of that. But when it said Andrea's name, her voice came through this device. And there's there's four pre-pro... Uh, no, six, six pre-programmed robotic voices that come through on this. No human speech. No Nobody speaking. But Andrea's voice came through and said, that's right, when I said Andrea. Now, Andrea's alive. She lives down in Florida. 
So I, d- I don't know why her voice would be coming through this. Um, I haven't spoken to her. I'll probably give her a call this week to find it a little bit more. But it was a very strange, a little bit unnerving, but just kind of one of the many cool things that have happened there. What I would recommend is if you are a fan of horror movies or if you're a fan of the paranormal or if you're a fan of history, go take one of their day tours. They're $25. They last, I think, over two hours. They take you through this farmhouse from the 1700s. They tell you the whole history of who has lived there and what the history of the area is. And they talk about some of the wars. And it's it's very fascinating stuff. And then they talk about some of the paranormal claims. And then they let you run around the house. Well, not run around, but they let you poke around the house and, and, and do a little attempts at communication if you want to. And it's well worth the $25. You know, for the amount of money it costs now to go out to the movies, for the amount of money it costs now to go out to, you know, an hour of bowling is $30. An hour of, you know, axe throwing is $25, $30. It's worth it to go to some of these historical locations and take a tour. Because you're going to get a two-hour tour. You're going to get a lot of information. You're going to get, hopefully, an entertaining presentation of that information. And it helps keep these historic places alive. Last week on Spooky South Coast, we were talking about ghost tours. And how there are, in so many cities now, you can take a walking ghost tour. Where they will give you the history, but they'll also tell you some of the ghost stories associated with those locations. But those aren't the only walking tours that you can take of places. And, and some of them are 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 12 bucks, 15 bucks. Some of them are free. They do free walking tours in Fairhaven for, with Fairhaven history in the nicer weather. So maybe, you know, spend some time getting out there and doing that. You know, today's a day where we can talk about history. We can talk about the presidents. We can talk about the way that this country has evolved, historically speaking. I mean, I'm not talking about getting into, you know, political drama and all of that. But you can actually go to places and see where these things actually happened and take those tours. You know, I've never gotten to go down to Philadelphia and tour some of the historic sites there, but I plan on doing that someday. I've taken... It, pretty much any time I've traveled, I've always tried to find a historic tour. And I try to find a ghost tour. Sometimes you're going to get yourself doubled up on the history, but that's okay. It only kind of reinforces it in your mind. But I think it's just as important to learn why these places matter as to learning what happened there and see how they're taken care of today. So that's something that we can talk about this morning if you want to. Uh, Also, today is a somber day as well because today is the 20th anniversary of the station nightclub fire. So it was 20 years ago tonight that 100 people were killed, 230 people injured. The, I still remember it. I still remember hearing about it. And I'm, I'm trying to think. If I heard about it that night or if I heard about it the next day, I was working at the diner, Mill Pond Diner in Wareham, 
I was I opened the diner each morning, and I woke. I I remember the next day going in, and if I, if I didn't hear about it the night before on the news, I certainly heard about it the next morning pretty quickly because I just remember there being this sense of loss because some of our customers were there. Now, some of them, luckily, we found out had survived. Some of them had gotten out. Some of them had been injured. And one of them had passed away. This, this, a guy named Dale who came in every morning. Uh, he was a car dealer who had a, a used car dealership a little bit down the road. He came in every morning and at least got a cup of coffee to go. Sometimes he might stay and have breakfast. Sometimes he might come in with his wife or girlfriend or whoever she was, and, and on the, especially on the weekends, and sit down and have a meal. But for the most part, he would always come in and get a coffee. He would talk to a whole bunch of people, and then he would leave. And everybody genuinely, genuinely liked this guy. He was just a guy that made your day better. And he had kind of, you know, the crazy hair metal hair. About 15 years after it stopped being popular. <laughs> That's all right, though. He had that hair, and he had, um, you know, that kind of rock star persona. Very much the outgoing, gregarious person. And uh, so we had nicknamed him, you know, those of us who worked there, we, we nicknamed him before we knew his name, Rod Stewart, because he kind of had the same haircut as Rod Stewart. So he would come in, and he'd be coming in and be like, oh, Rod Stewart's here. And then, of course, he eventually find out his name. It's weird in diner world. You don't always ask somebody their name at first. You know, you kind of wait to see if they come back again and again and again. And then especially in the days before we had the computerized slip system, you know, you wrote down their name because it was easier to find them than it was to say, like, counter four. And everybody just liked him. I remember friends of mine going to the show. You know, Moniz, my co-host on Spooky South Coast, Matt Moniz, talks about how he was supposed to go. And something came up, I think, because he was a sound guy at the time in bars. I think he might have been asked to be a sound guy somewhere so he couldn't go to this show. But otherwise, he would have been there. He, His friend had a ticket for him. And I didn't contemplate going. Uh, I only knew one great white song. Once bitten, twice shy. And while I liked it, I didn't have an overwhelming urge to go see it performed live. But a lot of people were really into this band. And it's it's disappointing still to this day the way that the band handled it. They they lost a band member in the fire. But I never felt like the band, they took responsibility, but not in the way that they should have. And certainly not right away. These flashbangs, you know, these flashpots, they, they outlawed them after this and for good reason. But it was their pyrotechnics display that caused the fire. Now, the, they never should have been allowed in that building because it was just too small. There wasn't enough space for these things to be set off without being a danger. And it changed 
for a long time the way you could do pyrotechnics indoors. At that time, 2003, I was still writing my inside wrestling column for the Standard Times, and I would go to all the local WWE events. If they came to Providence, if they came to Boston for Monday Night Raw or Thursday Night SmackDown, I went to kids SmackDown was on Thursday nights then. I would go to these shows, and at the beginning of every episode, they always set off an intense pyrotechnics display with, you know, the, the screaming memes, like all that stuff, and pyrotechnics going off on the stage and down the ramp and around the ring and all kinds of stuff. There was a wrestler named Kane who would come to the ring and, you know, put his hands up in the air and throw them down again and flames would burst out of the ring posts. So many wrestlers, when they came out, had pyrotechnics that would fire off as part of their entrance. That stuff got outlawed for a brief time. They were able to control some and be able to reinstitute some of it that could be controlled. But the, those, those opening show fireworks, those went away for quite a while. And so, you know, concerts, bands who were going out and playing large arenas where there, there wasn't any risk of setting these off, they had to put them on pause as we investigated just how safe these can actually be. And of course, in the radio world, we lost Mike Gonzalez, the doctor, Dr. Metal from WHJY. He perished in the fire. And, uh, and those of you who remember Dave Kane, who was on WBSM in the 90s, and he did some filling for us a while back, and he's on the radio still in Rhode Island. His son, Nikki O'Neill, was the youngest victim of the nightclub fire. And we had Dave on Spooky South Coast before talking about some of the supernatural things that happened following Nikki's passing. But imagine losing somebody that young. I believe he was 16, if I remember correctly. And there's been so many lawsuits, so many civil suits, so many criminal investigations memorials, remembrances. And I hope that nobody ever forgets what happened. Because, first of all, you should never be putting people in a situation where they're unsafe just to see a, a rock concert. But also, secondly, there were various degrees of negligence involved in this. And it was something that people took for granted for years. Being able to put on a show like this, being able to set off these flash pots, not having to, to be concerned about what might happen. And I'm, I'm sorry that it took 100 people dying for us to learn those lessons, but if there's going to be any kind of legacy, it's at least that. It's at least, it's at least that we're hoping that this will never have to happen again, at least not through such gross negligence. Anyway, if you have anybody you want to remember who passed away in the station nightclub fire, or if you were there and you want to share your experiences, you can do so at 508-996-0500. Right now, I have to take a break. We'll be back in a few moments. 
New Bedford's news talk station. She don't let the deal go down. Well, don't let the deals go away without you getting a chance to pick up on them. Uh, at SeizeTheDeal.com, we always have great deals going on, including right now. You can get $25 to Wame in Fairhaven for just $12.50. So if you've been craving one of those chow mein sandwiches or maybe you're a chop suey sandwich fan or maybe, like me, you get the mixed chow mein and chop suey sandwich, you can get those and save money. Just twelve fifty. For $25 at Wame, and that goes a long way over there. They have Everything's very affordable over there. Uh, there's also Duke's Bakery. We have a few left to get $10. I'm sorry, $20 to Duke's Bakery for just $10. Uh, coming soon, we will have $25. We'll get you $50 to Rose Alley Ale House. But right now, you want to jump on this deal right now. Get it before it's gone. Just checking to make sure it isn't gone. It's still there. Okay, we still have it. Right now, if you go to SeizeTheDeal.com, you can get a one-year family membership to Buttonwood Park Zoo for just 45 bucks. Normally, it's $90 for a family membership, and it's well worth it at that price. But right now, you can get it on sale for $45. Seize the deal. Seize that deal right away. Get a family membership for one year to Buttonwood Park Zoo for just 45 bucks. And you know what's really cool about that? is that there's so much reciprocation in being a Buttonwood Park Zoo member. And it was my favorite thing when my son was little. You know, that's what we would do. We would buy a Buttonwood Park Zoo membership, and that would get us reciprocation to so many other places, and we could always find somewhere to go. School vacation week like this, we would always have days planned. You know, sometimes they would go without me because I had to work. Sometimes they would wait till I got out of work. Sometimes I'd take a day off, and we would go to places that were reciprocal membership. So you not only get into other zoos, but you get into other museums and other places. And it really, it pays for itself the first couple of times you use it. And you're going to use it nonstop throughout the whole year. So get a family membership to Buttonwood Park Zoo right now for just $45. You can't go wrong with that deal. It's at SeizeTheDeal.com along with so many other great deals as well. Check it out every morning to see what the latest deals are to save you money. All right, uh, in the 11 o'clock hour, I, I should mention, too, that it's Monday, so that means we'll be turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light, and we'll talk a little bit more about the situation with the city council. So Jack wrote an article where he wrote a column, an opinion piece, where he feels that the... City councilors getting together once a month at a New Bedford business or restaurant, whatever, that that could be a violation of the open meeting law. He's not saying that them getting together is a violation of the open meeting law. What he's saying is that 
them being together in that place could be a violation of the open meeting law. Now, uh, if you heard Town Square Sunday yesterday, he addressed that. Uh, just, you know, not to break down the fourth wall for you, but that was pre-recorded. So that was recorded before we had City Council President Linda Morad and Councilor at Large Naomi Carney on this program on Friday, uh, in which, you know, Linda Morad did not mince her words. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can play it a little bit later on for you. Uh, but she did not mince her words and how she feels about Jack Splane writing that article. Uh, that she basically accused him of being senile in his old age. Or, you know, being... Uh, I'll let you hear her words for it. But it was... I was surprised at just how strong... I mean, we know she's one of the counselors who has issue with Jack Splane and, and the coverage that he's given the council over the years. I don't think that's a secret. She doesn't return his phone calls. He's pointed that out numerous times. But things are getting testy. And I don't know how much that worries you. How much does it worry you that the mayor and the council have issues? Certain counselors themselves among each other have issues. The council has issues with the media. I, 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 does this bother you at all as a voting citizen of New Bedford? Do you feel like this impedes, A, the business of the city getting done, and B, the ability to, be, to have transparency in how the, the business of the city gets done? The mayor, as we reported on, on Friday, I didn't get to hear South Coast tonight, but I, I don't know how much Chris and Jess covered it. But I'm sure they'll be, I'm sure Marcus, now that he'll be back from his birthday break, will certainly be all over it tonight. That the mayor filed, he sent communication to the council seeking to have the 10% penalty for Unit C employees that don't live in the city, having that waived and to having those salary reclassifications adjusted. Now, originally, they had given some employees significant boosts in salary, as much as 53%. The council heard the public speaking out on that, especially here on this station. And I uh, let, me, let me just clarify something here. I never want to make it sound like the station and, and like what we do here is what is getting the attention of the politicians. It's, it's not what we do. It's what you call in and say. They don't care what we say. Nobody cares what Tim Weisberg, Barry Richard, Phil Paleologos, Marcus Ferro, Chris McCarthy, Kim Pittman, Brian Thomas, anybody, Just Machado, anybody that's on the station, nobody cares what they have to say. They care what you have to say when you call in. And you express displeasure in the moves and the the decisions that are made. And I know a lot of folks call the counselors directly, email the counselors directly, send them messages on social media. And I know they won't admit it, but the counselors are all listening and they hear you when you're on the station. So continue to consider this your sounding board for those issues. But after hearing all of that, 
they made the decision to cap those unit C salary reclassifications to no more than 25% of the salary, which then many people still felt was unfair. Because the average person, unless they change positions to a significantly different position, the average person never sees a 25% salary increase. Now, it does have to factor in the fact that these Unit C employees have not had a pay adjustment in a number of years. So there was no cost of living changes for them. Certainly, if you are a minimum wage employee, you have seen that number fluctuate over the years and go up because there have been adjustments made to minimum wage. Unit C employees aren't making minimum wage. They didn't see that reflected. That was actually an argument I got into with my my boss at the diner when minimum wage went up. I was making, I don't know, at the time, I think I went from four twenty five to $5 an hour. And I thought that I was, you know, rich making $5 an hour. But then they raised the minimum wage up. The minimum wage went to $5 an hour. So now I'm making minimum wage for the number of years I've put in over the people who are just starting. And I said, why are these people starting at the same amount of money that I make if I'm supposed to have been you know, rewarded for, for sticking around here and doing a good job? And he didn't see the need to give me a raise. He didn't see the need to have that balance out when I worked it in the kitchen at Talbot's in Lakeville. That was my last cooking job. At that time, minimum wage changed. Or maybe it was the, the, the starting pay of what they were hiring people because they were having trouble getting people. The starting pay changed. And everybody that had been there that wasn't making that much more than, than starting pay were outraged by this. You're going to start people making close to what I make when I've been here for 20 years. And it, it, they were basically told, well, you don't have to work here. So that's why people were outraged to see that even, even a 25% cap to them was too much. And so now the mayor has filed with the council to have that lowered as well. So uh, we'll talk more with it about it with Jack coming up in the 11 o'clock hour and we'll take your phone calls. You can call in now or you can wait and call in with Jack about it as well. But I don't think this is something that the council can just brush away and say, nope, this is the decision that we made and we're sticking to it. I think that first of all, this pressure from the mayor to change it isn't just pressure from the mayor. It's also pressure from the constituency. I have not heard from anybody who was called in and said, you know what? No, the, the 25% is fine. 25% is cool. I wasn't cool with 53, but I'm okay with 25. I haven't heard anybody say that. Or if they did, I and I forgot, I'm sorry. But it's not palatable for any of the citizenry. Except apparently for the counselors who voted for it. And the people who are getting those salaries. 508-996-0500. We'll take a break and be right back. 1420 WB. 
actually brought rap to not only to the kids in England, but to a lot of kids in America as well. It was a much bigger hit in the UK than it was in, in, in America. But it was, for a lot of people, their first time hearing rap music. I mean, I use that term loosely, but it's their first time hearing it. And so it, it was a very influential song. And George Michael is nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame finally. And... He's somebody who I think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for sure, not only for his work with Wham, which, when you think about it, it was, um, you know, it was pure 80s pop, and it didn't really didn't really move the needle a whole bunch. They're part of a wave of bands coming from England in, in that new Romanticism era. And But the idea of what he brought to the business really stands out. And our friends over at ultimateclassicrock.com have an article up giving the five reasons why he should be. And, and of course, you know, he sold millions of records. He was one of the biggest stars of the 80s. The Faith album was hugely popular and hugely influential. But also what he did for artists in his battle with Sony. When he was, when he was a CBS Records artist, you know, they took care of him very well. Uh, he became, he was all over MTV he was uh, he was music in, in the 1986-87 era. But what happened was they had a merger with Sony Music and that they took over George Michael's contract and he didn't feel like they were doing things correctly and they weren't doing right by him and he put out a fantastic album, Listen Without Prejudice, where he said, you know what, I'm not going to play the game. I'm not going to be in your music videos. I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to play the you know promotion game for you. And it led to one of the most iconic videos of all time. First of all, the song Freedom, which is about his struggles, but really kind of can be applied to anything. But also the video utilizing supermodels. People think that that was like a brilliant move to get attention, but it was almost like it had to be done because he wouldn't be in the videos. And how do you sell a George Michael song if you don't have one of the biggest pop stars in the world willing to appear in his own video? Who's on par that you can put in the video? Well, the supermodels of the time, which was just starting to become a term people used. So for that, you know, so much of that stuff. He was a very important part of the music business. So I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, people vote him in. The stuff that happened to him in his personal life if it was 2023 that we found that stuff out, nobody would care. But because it was the mid to late 90s that this stuff came out, it became 
tabloid fodder. Nobody would care in 2023 if he was meeting somebody in a public restroom. I mean, people still might scoff, but it wouldn't have killed his career or sank his career like like it did. Anyway, that's just my little stump speech for uh, anybody that wants to vote for George Michael for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right, why don't we take our final break of this hour, 508-996-0500. Uh, again, this is a somber day. It really is because it is the 20th anniversary of the station nightclub fire. Anybody who has uh, someone that they lost in that fire or if you survived it yourself and you want to call in and just share, I'd be I'd, I'd be more than happy to uh, give you the airtime to do so. 508-996-0500. It's hard to believe that, you know, 20 years later, we are still talking about some of those things that happened and that there isn't more of, a, of an understanding for it. You know, people just look at this as a a situation where, oh, there's this this one club did this one thing wrong. No, it was prevalent throughout the music scene at the time. And it's amazing that we only had this one tragedy as a result. So anyway, I got to take a break. 508-996-0500. We'll be right back. The WBSM app is... Seconds caller, do you want to hang on until the start of the next hour? Um, you want me to hang on? You can or you can call back, but I have to go to the news. I only have about 30 All seconds. All right, I'll call back. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. And uh, we will have more room for more of your calls as well at 